Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to preach a message today called the Jesus Agenda. The Jesus, everybody say that with me, the Jesus Agenda. And this is probably going to turn into two messages. I don't think I can do all this in one morning. Um, we'll see how far we get into it. But I want to preach out of Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor Richie preached a masterful teaching on Wednesday night as he began to teach. Uh, the Lord began to deal with my heart from an auxiliary text that he mentioned in passing. And as he mentioned it in passing, God began to speak to my heart about it for you and for me. And I want to preach that today. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 7. And when you have it, say, I got it. Come on, look over at your neighbor before we get into this and tell your neighbor, neighbor, you look very slim today. Come on, tell them. You look 15 pounds lighter than last Sunday. Something is working in what you're doing. You look amazing. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, the Jesus agenda. The Jesus agenda. Verse number 7, let's read together. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's on the screen. You can read it with me. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended? What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. And he, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till, everyone say till, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Mm-hmm. This causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Thus is the word of the Lord. And this is the text for today's assignment, the Jesus Agenda. Father, help us today. I need you. We need you. Come Holy Spirit. 
in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Someone this week asked me if I was going to make a statement on the conditions of our nation. I have been making the same statement for 20 years. I will reiterate it briefly and continue to my assignment. Everyone writing down my statement, get your pen out, write this down. To hell with racism. And now I'll move along. This morning we woke up to a nation in need of God. Headline after headline serves as a reminder that if we've ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. And yet as I considered our need for the Lord, the Lord reminded me of how much he is in need of his people in this moment. God needs the church to be the church. Now God doesn't need the church in the sense that he needs the church in order for him to be God. He is immutable, which means he needs no help being God. He doesn't need the church in the sense that he needs a cheerleading section over on Bailey Avenue so that we can cheer him along and give him solace and comfort as he does what God does. God is not needy, but he needs his people. There is no option two in the earth. There is no plan B. When Jesus left the earth on a cloud in Acts chapter 1, he told his disciples, you're going to be endued with power from on high and become witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In Matthew chapter 16, he said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He reminded the people of God through the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who've been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might demonstrate and show forth the praises of God. There is something about the church in this hour that is absolutely needed for the moment that we're living in. The church is the light of the world. The church is the salt of the earth. And Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew that if the salt loses its flavor, what good is it useful for except to be thrown out and walked on top of? This isn't a moment for the church to hide and hibernate and react like every other social entity on the planet. This is a time for the church to rise and to lead, to speak prophetically and to allow the Spirit of the Lord to move among us. God is in need of the church to be the church. So with all that is going on in our world today that needs to be fixed and addressed, I sensed the Lord leading me and he began to speak to me Wednesday night as Pastor Richie was preaching. I sensed the Lord began to speak to me to talk to the body of Christ, to remind the people of God of kingdom responsibility, to be reminded of the Jesus agenda that is on our lives individually and on us corporately. Because before we can heal a sick nation, we must first be a church on point. 
In the fourth chapter of Ephesians, Paul begins to articulate what I believe is a concise yet powerful revelation of Christ's agenda, the Jesus agenda regarding the operation of the church in the earth. You might find it interesting as you read the book of Ephesians, what is missing from the writing of Paul. Paul doesn't bash the world. He doesn't bash sinners. He doesn't hate on people who are different than him. He doesn't even speak to the world or about it in this particular book. He focuses on the agenda of Jesus within the church because he understands if the church stays on point, if the church can commit itself to the agenda of Jesus, then their witness in the earth will be transformational. The world will see something in us They'll see an operation going on among us that is different than any other kind of operation going on on the planet. There's some kind of unity among us. There's some kind of power. Some of you in this room today, you don't even know what the power of God is, but you felt something when the Spirit of the Lord moved into this room a, a, few, a few minutes ago and you said, oh, what is that I feel? I don't even know what I'm feeling, but I feel something. The world is in need of witnessing something through the church that they cannot find in the streets. They cannot find in the crack house. They cannot find, oh, and, and there's a real problem when you have more unity in the world than you do among God's people. And today I am concerned because if we want to begin to solve the issues of our generation, it will take more than being committed to a social cause. It will take a people who are committed to the agenda of Jesus. I'm not going to get no help on that, but I'm going to bear down on it right there. Because we've got to have more than a social, social solution for a spiritual problem. When I go to the doctor, if I want my sickness to be appropriately mended and healed, I have to diagnose my problem appropriately. If the doctor misdiagnoses my sickness, they could also misappropriate a a medicine that I don't need and try to fix something that ain't wrong. And if America's going to get healed, we've got to make sure we understand that in, in, in light of our racism and in light of injustice and all those things are a product of a deeper less talked about problem that is very real in America and that is the issue of sin. I'm not getting no help on this Sunday morning but the Lord is helping me preach because racism is not just a skin problem, it's a sin problem and until we deal with the corruption of the human heart we will never heal it by the power of God. This issue this morning for me, this message that has been with me for several years is a message of the kingdom. We're at a very important moment in history and many leaders in the church are chastising the world for not operating in a level of unity. But the reality is the unity that we are rebuking the world for not having, we don't have it in the church either. 
Because Sunday morning, 10 a.m. is still the most segregated, separated, disconnected hour of America. We run over here and do white church. We run over here and do black church. We run over here and do Hispanic church. And I have read this book from cover to cover. And nowhere in its pages do I find the blessing of God on the white church or the black church or the Latino church. I find the blessing of God on the redeemed. I find the blessing of God on the place where people from every tribe and tongue have come together to lift up the name that is above every other name. You will not get to heaven and find a ticket line. There are no rows in heaven for them and rows over here for us. Kingdom of God is a kingdom established on this very thing. that Jesus came to save the world from its sins. The last time I checked, sin comes in every kind of person, comes in every kind of color, comes in every... We are, we are fighting a cause, but I want us to keep our eye on the real issue here. Demons and devils are working. And if we're going to see this thing broken, we will not win in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of every stronghold. Paul begins to preach in this, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are an articulation and a glorious revelation of who we are in Christ. I don't have time to preach it all, but I will briefly remind you, if you read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, you will find out that we are blessed. We are chosen. We are predestined. We are accepted. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are made alive. We are quickened. We are saved. We are delivered. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. When it comes to the fourth chapter of Ephesians, Paul veers off the revelation of who we are in Christ. and Then he begins to tell us what is expected of us since we are now in him. Uh, when you preach this, this often incites uh, rejection in some hearts. People want to hear about who they are in Christ, but when the preacher begins to talk about the responsibilities of those who are in Christ, we shut that out because no one wants to hear about what we are responsible for. Let's just all say we're saved and live like we want to live and not listen to anything about social or moral or spiritual responsibility and let's just hide in our little thing we call a church and, and, and let's just stick our head in the sand and forget about it all. But there are responsibilities for the redeemed. And Paul begins to articulate that here in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And he begins to tell us what it looks like when the church begins to execute, everyone say execute, the agenda of Jesus in the earth. I want this house. I cannot pastor everybody, but I am called to pastor this place. And in this moment, we've got to stay on point. 
In this moment, we've got to stay focused. In this moment, we've got to remember the big battle and the big war that is going on. And if we're going to see true transformation that is sustained and lasts in our generation, then we're going to have to commit ourselves to the agenda of Jesus in the earth. There, I'll say it again. There is no plan B. What else is he going to do? Who else is he going to use? Where is the help going to come from? Where are the reinforcements? If the church drops the baton in this hour, who will finish the race? And he says to the church, I want to show you, Paul says, the agenda of Jesus. Now, this is so concise, and yet it is so full. And so, I don't know how far I'm going to get today. I'm not going to try to do all this because it's, it's deep and it's rich and it's, it's a lot of it. So, the first thing, look at verse number 11, say the agenda of Jesus. I'm going to teach this because this is something that we teach at least once a year. If you've not been here at least a year, you, you may have never heard this, but if you've been here for any length of time at all, then you recognize one of the things God has called us to do in this house is to articulate as clearly as we can what it looks like to demonstrate and live a kingdom life. And I am, t I am absolutely convinced in this moment that one of the reasons the, the nation is in such peril at the moment that we're living is because the church has done a lousy job of demonstrating the kingdom and declaring its truth. I will remind you that when Jesus came to earth the first time, the message he preached was the kingdom. When he commissioned the 12 apostles, the message they preached was the kingdom. When he rose from the dead for 40 days, he walked the earth, and the message he preached was the kingdom. When John the Baptist came on the scene, he did not say repent for the church is at hand. He said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. There is something we are missing while we're sitting in our stained glass churches. It is that we are missing a revelation that Jesus did more than come to die so that we could put our name on a membership roll in a book at some local church. He came to overthrow the devil's kingdom and to establish on this planet that belongs to his father the kind of kingdom that Adam and Eve lost in the garden and when Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane he went there on a mission to take back what the devil stole from man in the first garden Jesus put it back together in another garden hallelujah I am not here to build this church I am here to advance the kingdom and while I advance his kingdom he said I will build my church and the gates of Lord I feel like hauling off and hollering a little bit in this room today we need a demonstration of the kingdom of God Paul begins to talk about the kingdom and this is what he says oh can I preach I'll teach in a minute let me preach there's something in this verse that says he ascended uh, and he led captivity captive and he says in verse 9 now what is this he ascended what does that mean but that he first also descended oh this is good this is the gospel that the king of heaven Jesus Christ the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. 
He who ascended first descended. What does that look like? Descension looks like God put on the robe of flesh, was born through the womb of a woman, came through 40 and two generations, walked down through the Old Testament, slipped through the prophets, walked right past Malachi, and into the New Testament came the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. That is he who descended. The Bible said it like this in Philippians 2. His name was higher than any other name. Why? Because he humbled himself. He descended. He was in heaven, but he came from heaven to earth to show the way. That's descension. The God that was and is the resurrection and the life, he did not have to come. He said, I will come. And he came. He came from heaven to earth. And then 30, 33 years into his sinless life, he died on a cross. And on Friday, it looked bad. And they nailed him there. And he gave up the ghost. And he died. Joseph came and got his body, peeled him off the cross, put him in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Somebody said, why was it a borrowed tomb? Because he didn't plan on staying there. Oh, hallelujah. It's called an Airbnb. He rented it for the weekend and said, I'm checking out on Sunday. But before he checked, oh, I feel God. Before he checked out on Sunday, the Bible said in the book of Peter that he walked down into the very corridors of death and he began to preach to the captive souls of paradise. Oh, Lord. And the yes, where you been all morning? I feel like preaching here. And the Bible said that when he walked in there, he began to preach deliverance to those who are in captivity. Every Old Testament believer, Moses and Abraham and David and Rahab, when they died, they didn't get to go to heaven. They went to a place called paradise. Paradise was like a waiting room for heaven, and they waited for somebody to come with the keys to let them out of paradise. Oh, and there was only one man who knew what he looked like when he came. It was the thief that died on his right side because the Bible said can I preach like I feel this thing in my soul right now. The Bible said on the day Jesus died one of the criminals said save us. The other said fool shut up. This is the son of the living God and the criminal looked at Jesus and Jesus looked back at the criminal and he said today you will be with me in paradise. Yes! When that criminal died, he went down to paradise. And when Jesus shot through the tomb and came walking through death and hell, they looked and said, I hear somebody coming. Who is this I hear? And the thief, not David, not, not Abraham, but the thief looked at them and said today I died beside him and he told me he was coming and your Bible said that he took the keys he unlocked the prison and he led every one of those captives up out of the grave and all the way I'm trying to calm down you don't have to put this on TV but I feel like hollering God is the one that loosed every prisoner and 
down, let me teach. Calm down. Calm down. And he who ascended was also he who first descended. And he went into hell and he set every captive free. The Bible says something powerful. It said he led captivity captive. He took people who were captive and made them a different kind of captive. We used to be captive to sin, but now we're captivated by his love. Yes. And he begins to articulate to us the agenda of Jesus. Why did he descend and then ascend? He descended into earth and descended into hell to lead captivity captive. And then the Bible says that he filled all things. Filled all things. This is the agenda of Jesus. He had to fill some things because some slots were empty. Some places were empty and vacant. So he understood if my kingdom is going to function and operate, I got to feel all things. Because what I don't feel, Satan will try to. If Jesus didn't feel it, Satan will try to. I'm glad he, Jesus, filled all things. And what did he fill it with? What did he do to establish his kingdom? What is his agenda? Well, the Bible articulates it in the beginning by saying he gave some, take a notes, write this down, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Number one, the agenda of Jesus. He defines the leadership. He defines the leadership. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We taught this before. Most of you have seen it. You know it. If you haven't, let me remind you of your hand. Perhaps it would help you to understand the fivefold as you look at your hand as if it were the hand of God. It's not, but apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Apostles are the thumb. They touch all of the other offices because every office needs oversight. Have you ever met somebody? Have you ever met somebody in the kingdom who had a gift and an anointing but no covering? See how quiet and tight it gets when you begin to talk about accountability. I don't need accountability. The Holy Ghost is my accountability. That sounds spiritual, but the problem is it's not scriptural. When Jesus inserted his kingdom into the earth, his agenda was to advance his kingdom. And for whatever reason he chose, he could have done anything he wanted. But he developed a leadership plan whereby we, the people of God, would have different offices in the church, each office saturated in grace. 
Each office filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostle touches the prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. The, the next finger is the prophet because the prophet often points the church back to God. And then the next finger is, you got to be careful with that one. The next finger is the evangelist. Why? Because if you look at your hand, the longest finger on your hand is the middle finger. And that is the one that reaches in first. And the evangelist often brings the message first and pierces the darkness first. Are you following me? And then the next finger is the ring finger. And the ring finger is, we are told it has a vein that runs through the finger all the way to, straight to the heart. And that's what a pastor is. A pastor is married to the church. Not a hireling. God, don't let me say it, Jesus. I'm sick to death of hirelings. You pay me enough, I'll tell you what you want to hear. That's garbage. A pastor is married to the church and I recognize that one day I will not stand before you and you and your family will not tell me if I did well or not. I will stand before the Lord and he will say, I pray, well done, good and faithful servant. And the people that will not tell congregations truth but merely tickle their ears with what they want to hear. I don't care how much celebration and applause they receive on the earth if you do not, if you do not uh, remain faithful to the word of God and the call of God, then you will not hear well done. And I've got to hear that when I cross over. And then there is the teacher. The, the pinky, it seems like the most insignificant part of the hand, but... You let churches not have teaching and there is no gra grounding. Leadership. You and I have got to come to a place, family, where we understand that the agenda of Jesus in the earth is first to be understood by, by, by knowing that God releases grace and anointing through people he calls. Can I just say this and get this off my chest today? I didn't choose this. I didn't choose this. I didn't wake up one morning and walk in my mom and dad's room and be like, yo, I got an idea. I remember being on the back row of a convention center in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And no one knew my name. And David Horton and campus choir began to sing, lead me, Lord, and I will follow and on my knees, I crawled down an aisle because I felt the call of God. And I, I said, I will be miserable if I try to do anything else but answer this call. If you can do anything else, and please God, do it because the ministry is not for the faint of heart. The hell you will endure, the nights you will pace the floor, the times you will plead the blood, the moments you will run your head, your hand through the hair on your head and wonder how and why and if and when. This is not for the faint of heart. Some peanut butter and jelly calling is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when God puts his hand on your life and I don't know who I'm talking to. 
somebody is running from the Lord. You're trying to choose a different way of life. I'm telling you right now, if you are called by God into the fivefold, you need to surrender now. You will pack your bags and run to Tarshish and jump on a ship and try to run from God. But the God on land is the God of the sea and the storm you're going through right now has nothing to do with your relational problems. It's all about the disobedience of God. You're not obeying the voice of the Lord. The call of God, Paul defines leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. I am not mine, I am his. And let me just say this. They are not yours, they are God's. And he defines leaders because he wants you and I to understand this. There is a grace on every person in the fivefold. They're operating in a grace that doesn't belong to them. It came from Jesus. And if you and I are not sitting under, and I did say under, because when you say under, people are like, oh, no, not me. I'm the head and not the tail. Can I suggest to you today that I'm only able to be over you in the Lord because I am under authority from others? We have people wanting to run around and be in authority but have not subjected themselves to authority. And I'm not getting no help on that one. You ask somebody, who's your spiritual father? Who's your covering? I don't have one. You know what I do when I meet those people? Put my Reeboks on and run. When Jesus come up out of the water, the father said, this is my beloved son. Before he could cast the devil out of a man in the sanctuary or the synagogue, he had to understand he was still in subjection to the father. This is my beloved son. He is the father. I do nothing except the father tell me to do it. And we got people running around with business cards trying to start everything under the sun. We want to know where they come from and nobody knows. The fivefold is necessary for your development, not because we have supernatural gifts, but because we walk in supernatural grace. If you find the right person in your life that has a shepherd's heart, and I'm not talking about me, but I've got to be able to say this without feeling like I'm trying to grow the ministry. You need to hear this. There is something about you and your family growing, and it doesn't happen until you get in the place where a grace saturated Christ called fivefold is present speaking into your life. Jesus says my agenda begins with the leaders that I've called but this is the thing and I'm only going to I'm going to I'm going to stop here with point number 2. Not only take a note write it down he defines the leaders apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers this is his agenda. He articulates the leadership. Second thing, he describes their work. Number one, he defines the leaders. Number two, he describes their work. Take a notes, write it down. Verse 12 gives you the work of the fivefold. This is why fivefold exists. Fivefold don't exist so that they can say, 
the bishop is here. The apostle walked in the room. No. Paul said, I want you to know the leaders so that you can understand the grace on their life is to activate and so that you can understand the work that they do. And here is the reason why you need the fivefold in your life. Verse 12. In the other chapter. <laughs> he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Verse 12, why? Put, put verse 12 up on them, please, on the screen. He put the fivefold in the church so that the grace operating through them can do two things. Equip them and edify the body. Everyone say equip. I recognize I'm teaching today, but you need to understand why it is you need the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the pastoral, and the teacher in your life. You say, well, what if I like one, but I don't like the other? Have you ever had a six-cylinder car and two cylinders stop working? I mean, it might work a little bit, but it ain't going as fast as it could go. And everything's fine until you hit a hill. And you're like, Father, Father, Jesus, help the car, Lord, help the car. The fivefold is like cylinders in your engine, and if you take one of them out, well, I don't like the prophet. I've actually seen denominations declare they don't even believe in prophets anymore. And here's why, because the prophetic can get messy, especially when you don't have an apostle that can correct. I better be careful. Especially when you don't have an apostle or an apostolic grace that can correct the craziness of the prophets. Because if you're not careful, prophets will have you dangling from the ceiling. Come on, somebody. The problem is some people don't have the prophetic and they've lost their edge. And there's no, there, there's no, there's no, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Everything's got to be practical teaching and we have no grace for the prophetic. And when you have no grace for the, for the prophetic, everybody's informed, but nobody's inspired. So we got a lot of people with a lot of information, but no inspiration and certainly no motivation. And that's why Haggai the prophet has to come along and say, where is the house of the Lord? You laid a foundation 15 years ago and there's still no house of the Lord. The prophet inspires and gets the body going again. I don't like the evangelist. So everybody in your city is going to hell but you. I love my pastor. I love your pastor too. But everybody needs to do the work. Y'all not helping nobody of an evangelist. And then I like the prophetic. I like the apostolic. But I don't like teaching. I don't, I want to shout. You don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. You shout and you don't even know why. I don't shout because of what I don't know. I'm actually shouting because of what I do know. I'm shouting because on Wednesday night, Pastor Richie taught me something that brought revelation to my mind and I got happy about it. You actually can be taught and respond appropriately. We need all five. 
Why? Verse 12. For the equipping. I'm done with this. I'm only going to get the two points. I got five, so I'm going to finish next week. For the equipping of the, everyone say equipping. Now, this word is interesting in the Greek. It is a noun. Katartismo. K-A-T-A-R-T-I-S-M-O. Katartismo. It's a noun, but it comes from the root verb katartizo, which is very close but not the same. And that is a medical term, watch, that was used outside of the Bible in Greek literature to articulate the resetting of a bone. The fivefold is anointed and graced and called by Jesus to set and align things so that we don't heal and grow crooked. Have you ever known somebody that broke a finger and didn't go to the doctor? You're like, what happened? I smashed my finger in a door. Oh, I know. (laughs) And their finger, watch, their finger healed crooked. And when it heals crooked and it's not aligned appropriately, it loses its efficiency. Do you know how many people are growing up crooked in the kingdom of God? Have you ever been to a chiropractor? Y'all... If you ain't ever been to a chiropractor, let me help all y'all. Find you a for real chiropractor who knows how to pop stuff. I was working on Jeremiah's Jeep a couple of months ago, and he come out and said, Dad, I can't get this boat loose. I said, oh, I can get the boat loose. And I went in my garage, and I got a torque wrench, and I put the socket on the end of it, and I went to that boat that was on that, that, that Jeep, and I went, watch this. You got to get a torque wrench. Watch this, son. This is how you get a torque. You get a torque wrench, and you loosen the boat. You, are you watching me? Bam! And it didn't move, and I felt my neck go. Jeremiah, I can't feel my hands. He's like, Daddy, for real, what's wrong, Daddy? I'm like, I don't know, but something's hurting. I walked in the house. And Devin said, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, nothing. I said, remember that chiropractor? She said, yeah. I said, somebody got to take me there now. This is a true story. It's a true story. I go to the chiropractor, and I walked in like this. And he's like, she's like, sir, have you ever been here before? No. Okay, sit down. I can't. And all of a sudden the doctor comes out, chiropractor comes out, and he says to me, come back here and follow me. And I go back there, and he said, lay down on the table. And I lay down on the table. And he said, wiggle your left toe. I about called Devin and screamed. What kind of fool did you send me to? My neck is, I'm dying of some kind of paralysis. And this fool wants me to wiggle my toe. He said, wiggle your left toe. And I went. 
And when I wiggled my left toe, he grabbed my neck and went, wham! And people down the hall come running out and said, who died? What was that? Sound like a shotgun went off. Pow, 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 pow. And all of a sudden, I could look. I said, oh my God, this man is anointed. And sometimes the body gets jacked up. And that's where we are in America right now. We are stuck and we are crooked and we ain't got no sense. And God said, be quiet, church. Lay down on the operating table and let the prophet, apostle, pastor, teacher, and evangelist get to working so that we can get in a line and the body can get equipped. Holler in this church. I got up off that table like nothing had happened to me. What's the point? Equip. We think it means just giving everybody weapons. It means that too. It's literally the word that when you go into the kitchen, you got what you need to finish the job. My girls, anybody else got kids that had been watching the Food Network? It's tormenting. My mama, where my mama? My mama, all her Facebook is is a bunch of recipes. <laughs> Fried chicken, one hour later. Double chocolate by death cake. One hour later, Frito pie. One hour later, fried chicken again. By the time I read my mama's Facebook page, I'm like, devil, I bind you in the name of Jesus. Give me some of that chocolate cake. In the name of Jesus, I bind you. Say, give me some of that fried chicken. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Have you ever gone in to cook and needed something that your kitchen didn't have? The fivefold, this is the agenda of Jesus, and I'm closing, Bron. The agenda of Jesus is to put fivefold in your life to keep you aligned and to keep you fully furnished. So that when you go into the kitchen, to cook what God told you to cook up. You don't get to a place in the recipe and like, where is that? I don't have no joy. Where, where is that? I don't have no peace. Where, where, where is that answer for racism? I don't have none of that in my kitchen. You know why people don't have that? Because they're not fully furnished. I went to a prayer gathering a couple of weeks ago in this city, a very dear friend of mine. I thought I was going to pray. And he introduces me like this. We're glad to have Bishop Wallace here. He pastors probably the largest multicultural church in Chattanooga. Bishop, come and tell us how you did that and what you're telling your people in light of this issue in America. Well, I didn't know what in the world this, I had no preparation. I don't know what to tell. Here's what I know. We just love people. And when some acts jacked up and not kingdom, we expose it and rebuke it. I'm not pastoring white supremacists. I don't care if that makes you mad or not. I'm not doing it. I'm not pastoring black supremacists. I'm not pastoring su Hispanic supremacists. Supremacy of any kind and you acting like you are better than anybody else because of the color of your skin did not come from the kingdom. That came from hell. Yeah. 
And when you don't execute the Lamb's agenda, you have to fall on a side. That's why everybody said, what side are you on? Oh, I'm, I'm on his side. Well, I know, but what side are you? Oh, no, 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 I'm on his side. And you will not pull me into your sewer and cesspool of conversation that does not line up with the Word of God. I just think this. I think if we keep articulating the kingdom, if we keep talking about the dream of Jesus, if we keep preaching the vision of heaven on earth, it will pull people together and they will begin to see I am, beyond, I am something beyond what this world has tried to categorize me as. Before I'm white, I'm his. I'm done. Finish it next week. Equip. And then there's this word edify. And I love that word because it literally means to make strong. The fivefold grace on the life of an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is given to make you built up and strong. It's like Lego pieces in your kid's bedroom. You pay $100 for a box of blocks and then you got to go read the directions and put it all together. I'm like, look, if I paid that much for it, at least you can put it together. God says, I'm going to give you the blocks and I'm going to give you the blueprint. But the fivefold is in your life not because they are an end to themselves. The anointing and grace on my life is not for me. It's for us. why I say get planted in a church somewhere because if all you do is float around in life and never get under that kind of grace you never become what God created you to be I want you to be equipped lined up fully furnished and edified built up and strong so that when you walk out those doors today you feel like you could storm hell with a water pistol Stand. I'll finish this next week. The Jesus agenda. Let's not complicate this thing. Let's work to be an equipped, edified body that can execute the agenda of the Master. I'm going to say this, and I think all of you know this by now. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. The answer for our nation and our generation is not coming out of the donkeys or the elephants. The only hope for America is the lamb. I just want you to know that my heart for this house in this city and region is to be part of the solution not part of the problem
if you want to commit your life with me today again afresh and anew to be part of the solution God doesn't start fixing the world before he comes to the church judgment doesn't begin in the LGBT community judgment begins right here well they're going to hell and there's some people in the church better get their heart right sister yay yay brother flip flop how many want to make sure you are executing the agenda of Jesus in your life lift your hands with me and let me pray for you before we go it's been a glorious day but I don't want any of our lives to be wasted I don't want any of our lives to be wasted too many lives have been wasted I don't know how many days you have left to live, but how many want to make sure with me before we pray, every day you have left on this planet, you are dedicating your life, committing your life to the cause of Jesus and his kingdom in this earth. If that's you, throw up both your hands right now. I release grace over you right now in Jesus' name. By his grace and power, I just declare over us, we'll hit the mark. We'll be aligned. We won't be crooked. We're not going to heal crooked. We're going to be in alignment. We're going to be set in order. We're going to be fully furnished. And everything that this city, this region, this community, and anywhere else God would send us, we're going to have everything we need for the call of God on our lives. We will not be lacking in any good thing. There will be an apostolic grace in this house. There will be a prophetic grace in this house. There will be an evangelistic grace in this house. There will be a pastoral grace in this house. There will be a teaching grace in this house so that the body is equipped, fully furnished, edified. We know who we are and we know what we're called to do. And it will resonate with people from every race, kindred, tribe, and tongue. And there will be no, by the grace of God, there will be no racism, no evil malice, no hatefulness, no supremacist attitudes among the people of God in this place. And may the work of God happen so deeply and thoroughly that we love like Jesus loved and have unity as he commanded us to. I release that over this body now in Jesus' name. And if you receive it, shout amen. Amen. We're going to release you in just a moment. When we release you, if you need Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life, instead of going left into your car, I want you to go right and come to this altar. He'll save you just like you are, he'll save you. Does it, you don't have to go home and flush anything and throw anything away and come back next Sunday. We want you to know just like you are, we love you and more than us loving you, he does. And he's got an amazing purpose for your life. It starts in him and you gotta surrender it all. So I'm gonna release the front row. As you turn left to go out, you can go out and fellowship and connect out there. But if you want prayer and you need Jesus to be the Lord of your life, 
either never known him or you've walked away and you want to come back, just take a right and come to the altar when we begin to leave. I love you. I'll see you Wednesday night. Go in the peace of the Lord. God bless you as you leave today. Just come to the altar if you need prayer. We love you and we'd love to pray with anybody today.